Aloha everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney Mitri, and this is Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we talk about smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. So today we're going to be talking about sustainability here in Hawaii, and I wanted to bring, I would say, a very well-known person in this arena, Kumu Ramsey Tom. Thank you. And I just wanted to give a little bit brief on him, but he's going to tell us a little bit more. Um, Ramsey is the founder and president of Life Enhancement Institute of the Pacific. He's also the cultural sustainability planner at PBR Hawaii and Associates. Um, he advocates for the spirit of aloha around the world in fields of ecology, business, communications, economic development, and the Hawaiian culture. So if you can give us a little bit more background on how you got into sustainability and maybe some of the projects that you've worked on over the years. That would well, be thank awesome. you, Christina, first of all, for having me and for that wonderful introduction. Um, I was very fortunate uh, to have been raised by and mentored by some interesting kupuna, elders of this place who became very concerned about where Hawaii was going. And they proceeded to share some of their manao, their thoughts and opinions with me, as well as their ike, their knowledge and wisdom. And that kind of got me on this path of asking similar questions. What will this place look like, be like, for future generations if we don't take care of it now? Um, having been born and raised in Hawaii and watching downtown Honolulu grow as I came over the pali every morning going to school, and then leaving for a while and then coming home and watching it grow and change dramatically during that time. Um, so it was clear to me then, as it is now, yeah. that we needed to start doing things. And perhaps I, I wasn't as focused then about it, but there are certain things such as energy. This was back in 1980. When that's, I was living on the continent, going to school, born. yeah. He's been doing this since I was born. Yeah, and the initiative then, I was, happened to be working in Washington, D.C., and the project was really looking at whether Hawaii could be energy self-sufficient by the year 2000. That's ambitious goal. And that was a 20-year <laughs> planning horizon back then. And just recently, well, 2010, mm -hmm. We started having the discussion about whether we could be energy self-sufficient by the year 2050. Yeah. So here we are nearly 40 years later mm -hmm. having that same conversation. Fortunately, we're making some strides towards that. Yeah, and I think but, that's a huge thing because I feel a lot of, a lot of people across <clears throat> even the United States, they've been pushing this ever since college for me when I was in college. And it was a career path that they took 15 years ago. And they're burnt out at this point, and they don't see the hope. And But now, I'm starting to see it starting to come together. It's taking this yeah. long, but it's, it's here. That is one of the challenges that, how do you sustain a conversation long enough to call it sustainable, <laughs> right? or sustainability? Which is why I think this will be the start of our series, a talk story with sustainable leaders. That's a good, it's a good idea, you know, memorialize mm -hmm. some of these conversations. Um, but at different levels, right? It really starts on the ground in community. And looking back at what our elders did, um, even back when, well, before ships came, okay. right? 
before planes and the distribution systems that we're accustomed to today. Our elders, our kupuna that lived here, did so sustainably. Yeah. They adopted practices, which we now refer to as moku management or ahupua management. But they had relationships with their places and one another that are very different from the ones we have today. Mm -hmm. you know? And despite all the facts and research, I think an oversimplification, but I think it's true, most of what we utilize comes from someplace else today. Yeah, I think Unlike it's, what it was for it's them. between 80 and 90% that we import into Hawaii for our food and everything. We need food and much. energy, right? And at, at some point, it's all energy, whether it's for machines or whether it's for humans. Humans, exactly. Right? But at some point in time, uh, the question always comes up, so when, not if, that particular distribution system is disrupted? And we've, had, we've dodged several bullets over the years. But um, again, it is still a lingering question. Mm -hmm. And how much food do we have stored on island? How much can we actually provide for ourselves in the event that that system is disrupted? And what are we doing about it? And what are our priorities? Is it really about growing more condominiums or more houses? Or is it about growing food or finding a balanced way to do that? Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, I think there are, are minds that are currently working on it. But in the absence of a long-term vision and a commitment, uh, we could easily experience what we call mission drift. Yeah. We well, drift off and we start following every shiny object yeah. that and comes our way. I think we're just at a place of paradise, mm -hmm. um, not this big city kind of state. So I think more than anything, people come here for that paradise. And it definitely has to have a balance. It's just yeah. not. It, if it, it turns into that big city, then we're going to lose why people come here in the first place. Well, you know, I, I like to play with language. I think language is important. Um, we can get trapped in it, or you can be inspired by it. So the fact that we're in paradise, um, I was having a conversation with a colleague the other day and said it's a gamble, a pair of dice. <laughs> and we can't be gambling with our future um, or our children's future. And so there needs to be directed, concerted efforts mm -hmm. if we intend to maintain paradise yeah. uh, as it is and perhaps for future generations to experience the same way. Now granted, things change and they are, there is evolution, but in the absence of planning and a commitment to what that looks like, we could easily one day turn back and say, how did we get here from there? And granted, we're in a beautiful spot today, but if we look around at what's happening to our island, yeah, and this is a rarity here on the islands. Yes. Um, for, for you who don't know, we are at the uh, Lukapila estate here at the top of Milani Malka. And um, I have been fortunate enough to assist with the sale of this property, but I would love to see it go into the proper hands. I would love to see this property keep and preserve what it is today. It's 128 acres where everything around you is just lush, tropical forest. And um, I guess it's sad to say that this is a rarity here on the island. Exactly. Um, if you go to the outer islands, of course, you're going to get this. But on our island, we are a city island. So it doesn't have um, parcels of this caliber anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'd be in my, I would just love to see it go to 
a person or an entity that's going to keep the balance of this. Likewise, body. good luck to you. <laughs> I'll do what <laughs> so I can to help. So that's why I would love to get this in the right hands, and which is why we're doing this and why we're um, right. pushing it in this direction. So right. thank you for being here. Um, in addition, um, for some of you who don't know the sustainable initiative, and I guess just really quickly, I'll run through some hot topic numbers mm -hmm. and what people have been um, talking about lately, you may or may have not heard because I would say the general public is very unaware of what um, Hawaii on the back scenes is doing for sustainability, mm -hmm. um, which you should know it's your tax dollars going to a lot of this, you'd be surprised, um, which is a good thing and maybe for some of you a first good thing of where your taxes are going. Um, but the government, the state, the city, everybody is working together on this initiative. So it started with the 2050 initiative where um, everybody came together and said, hey, let's um, move forward with this. And I guess it's gotten even deeper into clean energy by 2045. Um, That's correct. Yeah. Do you have a little bit, do you have anything to say? A little yeah, bit I, mean, we, we've, I th think we've taken baby steps. I think you can go back into the archive and find that uh, during the Ariyoshi administration and the state plan, there were conversations about all of these things taking place. And again, slowly, one step after another. But you can go back and find where we had these conferences on sustainability. And the names changed, but the content pretty much was the same. Mm -hmm. But we started making strides uh, right around 2008, 2005. Uh, but starting in 2000, 2005, 2010, that period, that's that 10 year period, I think we started really seeing some huge initiatives taking place, both at uh, city and state level. Uh, because prior to that, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the federal programs that were in place back in the 80s under the Reagan administration were pretty, mu pretty much gutted. So a lot of the renewable energy, windmills and uh, ocean thermal energy and all those kinds of things, the research was underway, but a lot of that got pulled back. So mm -hmm. we had a shift in priorities. And then all of a sudden things started occurring with the changes, or the increase in fuel prices, yeah. Yeah. Uh, OPEC doing what it was doing. And we had several of those instances back when you had to shift days when you could gas, get gasoline. We had these long lines, right? So in many ways, the, the energy crisis kind of woke people up. We also had a few scares when it came to natural events mm -hmm. that began to challenge the food system. Uh, electricity went out for a day and everyone freaked out. Yeah. yeah. But maybe the problem is that it came back on the next day and everybody forgot. Again. Yeah, exactly. Or um, it's just like the gas prices, right? It was really high for a while and then, oh, back right. to it being low again. That's right. Know, so so it, at, at that point, I think people who were aware began to recognize that we were, if not careful, could be victims of circumstances that we had very little control over. So the question is, what do we control? What can we influence? And that comes back to community. So communities started looking at what they could do mm -hmm. for themselves. And one thing led to another, conversations occurred. And I believe in 2008, the um, Blue Planet Summit was held here in Honolulu, where a number of leaders who were aware of the energy situation came to Hawaii. And from that, in contribution to other things, we had the Clean Energy Initiative, the Hawaii Energy for 2050, which is now 2045. So we're um, up in it. 
Five years. Yeah, so that came in. And then at the time, uh, Mayor Hanneman established what was called the 21st Century Ahupua'a Program, which was also looking at energy. Then uh, Senator Kokobun, uh, Russell Kokobun, helped to spearhead this conversation about 2050, the 2050 task force, looking at what are the things that we need to do comprehensively. Um, but like many planning initiatives, great plans come out, but it's really action plans. Who's gonna take yeah. step? And I think that's where we are now. And so I think many of the people that you're gonna be talking to subsequently are those that are taking pieces of that plan and beginning to implement them. Yeah. And so there have been different initiatives, some that have continued, some that have fallen away. But if you don't try, you don't get, right? You have to do something. And so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that well, we are moving thank, in the right direction. Thank you for people like you because you've been optimistic ever since the 80s. <laughs> so um, a lot of people give up, you know, but I'm glad that people like you aren't giving up. You know, yeah, that's what yeah. we need. Um, and just the culture of Hawaii, um, I could see it diminishing through the generations. And if we don't continue to educate and keep that going, mm -hmm. that's going to die too, and that won't be sustainable. Yeah. So for a lot of you too, just to know what, I mean, sustainability <clears throat> is such a, a broad term. So in Hawaii, when we talk about sustainability and what sustainability means for the initiative of Hawaii, the different focuses I would say that we're looking at is, is one, clean energy, um, producing food and ag, building up local produce and food here in Hawaii. Um, the environment, natural resources is another one, to protect it and to preserve it and to restore it. Um, waste management is huge because we're on an island, so any way that we can you know, work on that is, right. is probably the most, you know, in the thing that we're gonna have to think about. And because um, China's not taking our garbage anymore. Um, smart, sustainable communities and affordable housing. Um, because everybody does want to live here, but the local demographic, um, we don't want to get to a place where they no longer can afford to live in the home that they were, you know, or the place that they grew up in. So affordable housing is also dear to my heart as being in the real estate community. Right. So to me, it's a place that I feel I need to you know, step into and help a little bit more on. Sure. Um, and then lastly, the green workforce and education. I mean, really educating the younger demographic about you know, whether it's culture or whether it's anything that we're doing you know, with sustainability, they have right. to understand why we're doing all of this and they have to understand what it is that we're doing. Um, because if you don't teach them from the get-go, they're just never going to do it. And right. then it's never going to be a practice for them. That's correct. So those are the things that um, I think the initiatives are working towards and we're trying to really push for. Um, and I hope that the community can embrace this. You know, I mean, I think that's a huge thing. Can you talk a little bit? Um, I'm going to shift more into the cultural side of mm -hmm. things. So could you talk a little bit more about what you do as a cultural sustainable Ability planner. Yeah, I'm one of the few, I think perhaps the only individual that's carrying that title right now uh, with intention. So cultural sustainability planners, it's actually three different things all in that, that same moniker. Mm -hmm. So cultural sustainability is looking at the culture of this place, the rooted culture, but also the culture that has evolved over time with all the different you know, groups that have come to Hawaii, made Hawaii their home. 
because we're one of the few places that we marry everybody, right? You got Hawaiian <laughs> Chinese, you know, Hawaiian Japanese. We're all family here. So I, I, we've established a, a, a different- A true melting pot. Yeah, and, and I don't, I'd even like to offer that it's more like a beef stew, right? <laughs> melting pots kind of get all gray. They lose their color, but beef stew, you know, everyone still has a piece of themselves. We, we never really lose our identity. We share a part of ourselves and we create this, this gravy, if you would. That oh, becomes community, the culture. A, and so the flavor of our culture and our community is very different from elsewhere because I believe it reflects all of these various cultures. Though I advocate strongly for the rooted culture, the culture that was here prior to Western contact, our kupuna, my elders, because they lived here for millennia in the absence of the distribution systems we have With today. about how many people you think? Well, there are, different, there are different estimations, but some suggest that between 800 and a million people were here just at the time that uh, Cook Which arrived. Which happens to be about, about where we are today. today. Right, so let, let's assume that is the number. What we do know is that they were feeding themselves. And granted, there are times that it became difficult, but because of the length of time they spent here, they got to know their place. The relationship with the place as well as one another helped to develop practices that were prudent, right? Timely. They followed the natural rhythms of the sky, land, and sea. And they followed the moon, they followed the stars. This is what I call natural time. Today we operate off of artificial time. You know, I need it now, I need it tomorrow, regardless of what nature is doing. So we can eat everything and anything we want all year long, whether it's healthy for us or not. And so we place stresses on our environment. Our elders in Kupuna knew there are certain times you'd eat, you'd fish, you'd plant. And in that natural cycle, they developed their relationship. In addition to that, we lived in a natural environment. Now we live in artificial environments. And in process of doing that, in pursuit of those conveniences, those conveniences actually become the source of our tension as it comes down to sustainability. Whether it's creating air conditioning for our home or even heating for that matter, or getting to those homes because now we've distributed our, our communities to the outskirts, mm -hmm. right? And transportation being a, a critical reason for that. So we've become reliant like everywhere else on vehicles, many with one driver at a time, relying on petroleum-based products coming from elsewhere. So from the cultural standpoint, and I think a general rule of thumb, is that you become more sustainable when the producer and the consumer are the same person, mm -hmm. right? And so I would say that our elders, those that lived on islands, were very sustainable because they were producing and consuming what it is they're producing. So there was no packaging to your point. Nutrition was probably greater because I knew where my food was coming from. I had some responsibility for the health of the soil and I was caring for the environment around it. But once we started relying on food coming from elsewhere, all of these other things play, mm -hmm. come into play. For instance, packaging. Everything that comes here in a package stays here. Yes. Whether we consume it and then put it into a landfill and into the sewage system, or it stays within our bodies, in the, in the intestines. Consider that the number of visitors coming, and we almost hit 10 million this year. Wow, right? 10 million. Imagine all those people coming here, they have to eat stuff and everything that they're eating is coming in plastic. I don't see too many suitcases leaving with the trash or the packaging that they ate going back with them. And many of them aren't taking half-eaten hamburgers back with them, right? So whatever leaves the island is pretty much in their intestines. Yeah. 
Or gifts, say that. souvenirs, or gifts or but that's about it, yeah. But for the most part, everything else stays here. So where is that going? What are we doing with it, right? So whether we're burning it to create energy or putting it into the earth, what does that then do? The reciprocal relationship of Allah is to give and to receive. And what we're giving the land and what we're expecting from right it back is, yeah. maybe you know, expecting too much. So when we go back to the culture principles, ask ourselves, so how do I feed her so she can feed me? Mm -hmm. That's the culture principle of hey Hawaii'el. That's who we are. I am Hawaii because I eat her and she eats me. We give to one another and to future generations. But as soon as we adopt kananeno values and practices from elsewhere where you can send it away, right? <laughs> or I can go away when I don't have enough or I want more. That expansion, that moving away, tends to operate on, and we do this in business a lot, exit strategies, mm -hmm. right? Well, if you're from Hawaii and you live here, we don't have an exit strategy. We don't intend to leave, right? Yeah. We want to be here. And so that alone runs contradictory to our business practices, which have exit strategies. In many of the industries that we rely on for our economy operate off that strategy, right? Mm -hmm. so, Somehow there's got to be a shift. How do we begin to look at our, an island worldview, which I believe is rooted in our cultures, and finding a way to get the best from continental worldviews mm -hmm. and blend them to find a way that we all can live in a place like this. And if we can do it here, hopefully that becomes an example for elsewhere. Yeah, because we can't do it on an island. What I are we totally talking about? Agree. Right? I totally agree with that concept. And if we yeah. are self-sustainable here in Hawaii, and you know the Pacific, where we are, if we could really have a, a million people living here in an urban core setting, uh, that would be pretty amazing and a feat where everybody's like, well, if they can do it, it's like we're a little biosphere like the world itself, right? Then the whole world can come together right. and do it in, right. in that full capacity. And we rely so much on technologies and other things. And as great as they are, many of them are transitional. We're moving into a new space. The context in which we're moving into is very different than the context that we lived in. and yet. The content they were applying, you know, yeah. the technologies are based on these old contexts. So fortunately, we have people who are looking forward, but it does require those of us that got us here to maybe step out of the way to let the new generation take us to the new space with some guidance and some support. But I think it's going to take some creativity. Yeah, well, I think it's always going to be the blend from your, your past and your history with the future. And there are some amazing things that are coming down the pike here in Hawaii with the accelerator groups and blue mm -hmm. startups and mm -hmm. other um, forms where they're really supporting a lot of this new technology, a lot of stuff dealing with sustainability. Um, but on the other end, I mean, I've been listening to a whole bunch of podcasts as well on sustainability. Um, you've got the other side where everybody is going back to the land and going right. at the end of the day you're not going to create any of this food with you know a magic something like you still right. have to grow it you know right. whether it's grown in the, the earth or not it still has to be grown like it has in the past you know so there's so much that's coming down where they're going back to their roots going back to the way they did things and you know individually growing in their homes or growing, yeah, you know, yeah. in their communities. So I can see a blend of that happening with, you know, a lot of this new yeah, technology yeah. to where maybe a million, you know, Hawaiians did it here, but we could, because of technology, have more because of that. So Well, I, I think what's critical is that we 
not become too dependent on the technological mm -hmm. response. That there is an ethos, there's a way we think and feel, right? And I, I don't think we should lose that because it's the way we think that sets the criteria of our choices. Mm -hmm. So what products do I choose? Do I use plastic water bottles at a conference or do I find something else uh, that is more sustainable? Those are individual choices. Yeah. You know, it's not, I, I don't think we want to legislate that. I think people need to yeah. find a way to make those kinds of choices. The conversation about recycling, some people argue it's not happening or there's no one comes to pick it up from my house. If you really believe it's important, you'll do it on your own, yeah. right? It's, we become that force. Yeah, and I think I totally the mistake agree. would be to rely on government, mm -hmm. right, to set up these practices when really these are things that individuals Ought to be just, doing in yeah. the same way that our elders did, not because of government, but because it made sense. Yeah. yeah, and because it was, you know, whether it was their inside being, like they felt right. like they needed to contribute. Um, that's another thing I see where our government is moving in this direction and they are going to, you know, they are set to hit these targeted goals. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess little by little, you know, there might be some pain thresholds that we have to go through. Um, but I would love to see our community, you know, not, I mean, adopt sustainability, like as a way of life, you know, the things that we're doing because we believe in it and because we see the need and it's like, okay, it's not that much more to fill up a hydro flask with water right. than it is to conveniently take a water bottle, right? And um, little by little, um, if everybody starts to think that way, then you start doing that because you feel like you're supposed to, like you're supposed to put your right. seatbelt on, you're supposed to clean your room because it's messy. <laughs> I mean, just the little things that you have to do um, that you don't necessarily want to do, but you've learned that this is really how you should. Well, so even there, I think it's how we reinforce it, right? On the spectrum of punishments and, and rewards, oftentimes the rewards are too far down for us, right? And we always want to avoid those punishments. But we tend to use punishment, fines and fees and things like that to, to your point, you know, seatbelts. Taxes. And taxes, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah, right. But where's the reward? And I think we need to find ways of getting quick wins sooner, right? Yeah, so people exactly. can do that. And again, I think if you plant something and you can eat something for directly from the yard, that's a quick win. You can mm -hmm. see that. But not everyone has the luxury of having that space. So how do we as a community begin to create that opportunity? To your point, creating agri-hoods where there are shared areas for planting and growing food rather than hiring landscapers to mow your lawn and foodscapers to come and grow your food for you, share and those kinds of things. So these are all best practices that are being they're starting, elsewhere. You they're, see them, they're, they're happening in different yeah, places. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I could see it moving to Hawaii and being a permanent residence here. Um, but the other thing too is because Hawaii is moving in this direction, I want to see Hawaii adopt this mm -hmm. as a culture and a way of life because um, when you do, then you have, you feel obligated to give back and do these things um, for the greater good. Um, when you have that mentality, these little things are no longer pain pressure points. Mm -hmm. It's more of like, I'm doing it and you feel good about doing mm -hmm. it. It's like you're, you know, offering a gift for the things yeah, that you're doing. Yeah. Um, soon, and I've, I'm sad to say this because it is what's probably going to happen, there will be more pressure points, there will be more yeah. taxes, there will be more fines or more restrictions 
that will naturally come down right. due to you know, what the government's going to have to do mm -hmm. to get this going. Yeah. And um, if we can change our mindset you know, to get on board and we're doing it and understanding why they're passing this law where now we have uh, to pay for, for bags or we have to yeah. bring our own yeah. bags, you know, or, you know, we're going to have this bike clean and that's going to eliminate some parking stalls or, you know, all of these little things that uh, may be a little inconvenient that if we understand why and we understand that the government is really trying to help our future um, and we're all going to band together and work on it, you're not going to feel so upset about right. it. You know, right. you're right. going to support it. Well, know? there is an old saying that says we tend to support what we create. And I think as communities get more involved in creating these kinds of practices or in, in being engaged in the development of policy, I think you have more and more people doing that. Um, but to your point, if if it's too painful for people, you know, oftentimes people won't do it. They'll just do what they know how to do. Yeah. And so I What's think we have, we have to find incentives to do that. But if the incentive doesn't include making sure that our waters are healthy, that they're drinkable in the future, that our children can swim in it, that the creatures that live there can live there as we live now, and we forget about them, we may find policies that suit, of, suit our needs, but not necessarily the environment. And I think that relationship is something that we have to always be conscious of, right? Yeah. Is that because we are in it. Mm -hmm. We live on an island in the ocean. And so when it comes to things like climate change, sea level rise, um, those, how do you keep nature out when you are in it, mm -hmm. right? It, it just doesn't, it baffles me to think that grandmother ocean is coming home, home or your grandmother's coming home. You're not gonna build a wall. Hopefully you build a room and create some accommodations. Or maybe an ADU. Or maybe, an, yeah, <laughs> another room for somewhere, whatever that is. But to, to think that we've become so disconnected, to think that we can keep the ocean out, baffles me, you know, when we live in it. Well, you know, you know I was just in Italy, so Venice is an interesting. <laughs> Actually, we happened That's to be a good there example. when we had... Um, <laughs> But you know, they work with it, and there's, I guess there's always, they're also much older of a right. town. So I think we definitely are coming up with some pretty interesting um, ways to work with the land and yeah. with the climate change. Because yeah. this is going to happen in our lifetimes, and yeah. I think people are starting to realize that it's not just affecting uh, two or three generations, like we'll see these effects right. within our life. So your earlier question, which I, I think I ran a foul on, is that cultural piece, but then the sustainability piece, which we've talked about, which is those practices, but then cultural sustainability says that how do we as a people in a place plan, not just the verb, but the noun, or what is the plan, and then go through the process yeah. of doing that, rather than just reacting. So I think it's a response, is a proactive, vision and then planning for that but then also a succession plan of creating and supporting the next generation and recognizing that their needs may be completely different than our own and uh, be careful that we're not uh, robbing from our futures right mm -hmm. to pay for our present which i think many of us have come to understand we may be doing yeah, yeah. and i think i don't know i guess the baby boomer age is now at that state where they have grandkids that they love probably more than I their kids. I represent that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, like, so much to the yeah. point where when they think about the future, they're thinking about the future for their grandkids now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
their whole lives have been um, hustle and bustle, make ends meet, and now it's that it's that legacy, and it's what they're going to be able to pass down, and it's like how are they going to give back for their their yeah. grandkids? So, um, I'll make one observation. I, I I think as long as we continue to operate in a world that is based on accounting practices and procedures, despite what it is we aspire to, if I always have to come back to what does the budget say, mm -hmm. right? or how many years, we have a three-year budget, a four-year budget. That's how long the sustainability conversation is gonna last, right? If we adopt the practice of accountability versus accounting, we may find a different path because what we're stating is, I'm held accountable to my behavior, mm -hmm. to my grandchildren, to their grandchildren. And therefore, I will find a way, we should find a way. Not because the accounting procedure says fill in this box. Many of the things we're talking about are not measured mm -hmm. in the way that most businesses measure assets and liabilities. Right? Aloha is not something you see on the asset sheet. Mm -hmm. It's something you feel. Mm -hmm. And yet we... Have to invest in it. That's right. We speak about it. That's what makes us so unique in the world. And yet where is the investment in that when the accounting sheet doesn't include that? That's an, an extra step. And when we espouse the commitment to triple bottom line and now quadruple bottom line for some people, mm -hmm. this notion of culture being added in or the culture of spirit, um, the recognition is that term triple bottom line is still an accounting term, mm -hmm. right? So we have to be careful not to, uh, I guess, mislead ourselves into thinking that because we're using this term, we mean something else. So I think that's part of it. It's how we think and how we define things. Reframing them, redefining them, and refocusing. That's something that I'd like to share with my students and those that I work with. Otherwise, we're going to, as Einstein say, expect new results using old practices. Yeah. Well, I think that we covered a lot in the past <laughs> half an hour or so. And I think more than anything, this is just the start of talking story with sustainable leaders and getting what you guys are doing for us and Hawaii out there because there are so many sectors and I feel they're all very siloed because they're working really mm -hmm. hard within where they're tasked to do, whether it's solar, energy, you know, ag, they're all um, moving forward very aggressively right now and, you know, and with the funding, I think a lot too, which helps. So. Um, things are happening and my goal is to get everybody a little more integrated. Um, I think we're at that Good point now where if we can get everybody together, um, then we're gonna be able to move much more smoothly. You know, and then from that point, get it out to the public, what yeah. you guys are doing. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's great work in the last six months just studying and seeing what every sector is doing it, it's actually, it's amazing to see that this is coming out of Hawaii, that businesses are being started here in Hawaii, that, you know, businesses from elsewhere are moving to Hawaii to boots the ground right. offices and establishments here. And this is only going to help our economy and help our future. And if we can be that recognized place for something like this, I think it's, it's what Hawaii needs and for us to be, you know, longevity-wise. And that's a perfect example of refocusing you know, and redefining. For many, our place in the middle of the sea, the most remote inhabited place on the planet, was a barrier for many things. But the proximity to 23 growing economies, uh, thanks to President Obama who brought APEC here, 
it's a reminder that we're really on the edge of a new, or the center of a new economy, and not an edge of an old economy. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that reframe, and I think people are beginning to re recognize that. So thank you for bringing it up and for doing what you're doing. And well, it's just the beginning, yeah. and I am on board to support the things that you've started back in the 80s. So that <laughs> is where I'm, where I'm at. Good so luck. thank you so much. Yeah, so for everybody listening, thank you for staying tuned. We will be probably reaching out to some more sustainable leaders and kind of have a series on this. And I think it would be a good place for you guys to get up to speed in the different sectors. So um, thanks again. And... Um, Basically, if you want to check us out more and read you know, some of our blogs or go online to see our podcast, you can visit us at www.smartlivinghi.com. You can also check us out on Instagram, which is at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii, or Facebook, like us there. And um, podcast, any podcast platform, you'll be able to find us, Smart Living Hawaii. In the meantime, live smart. Mahalo. Thanks, Christina. <laughs>